Thank you for tuning in on our Restoration Life podcast. We're excited for what God is doing here. So we hope you enjoy this message. And where do you go in the kitchen for whatever it is you're hungry for? Fridge. Well, this is the kitchen of the Lord, and his word is the fridge. And so we're going to get refreshed and renewed and restored. And so I hope you came expecting. I know that Pastor Eddie is probably at home watching this, and we're praying for you. We're thinking about you. Same thing with Nancy Hernandez, who's in the hospital. You know, expect to move here. Expect to move there. So beautiful. God is so good. So we're going to be opening up our Bibles. I just want you to put your finger on the page. We'll get to that scripture in a minute, but it's going to be 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 and 19. 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 and 19. So when I say the word ransom, what do you think about? Kidnapped. Every service has said that. Every child I've asked has said that. And you probably thought that as well. Ransom, kidnapped. You know, the first kidnapping I recall as a child, I was 15 years old, 1976. Some of you may have remembered it or heard about it. Probably not, though, because I'm dating myself. But this busload of children, 26, can you imagine, and a bus driver going on a field trip, and they get hijacked. They got hijacked. And these three men hijacked them and then put them underground in a, in a grave and, and hid them there. And then these three men tried to get money, billions of dollars. Well, the good news is that the bus driver, in his wisdom and his uh, courage, and the children just listening and following, they dug themselves out. They got free in 16 hours. And they were saved. And uh, they found the three people who did the kidnapping. And they arrested them, and, and justice was served. But, you know, there was something that was in common with each one of those family members, and I'm sure it would be with you and it would be with me, that if there was a kidnapping in our family, that every waking moment, it, they, they would say that it didn't matter what they thought, what they did, uh, everything they did, everything about that 16 hours was just focused on the loss and uncertainty of what's going to be. And I'm sure that would be with us as well. I just can't imagine. So... The deed to this earth, I want you to know, and everything in it, including us, were kidnapped in the garden. And God, with a perfect plan, gave Jesus, who executed the plan, literally executed, and paid the ultimate ransom in order that you and I can live. That's the gist. That's the simple of it. So that you and I, repeat after me, can be redeemed, released, rescued, reclaimed, delivered, liberated, set free, exchanged. Say amen. Man, it is incredible. And when you think in those terms, if you can constantly think in those terms, you're going to do all right. Let's read what the Scripture says in 1 Peter. And keep in mind, when I read Peter, and he was definitely a big part of the New Testament, as was Paul, as was John. But Peter, I look at him as the apostle of hope. How many of you need hope? Yeah. The world doesn't have hope, and if it has hope, it's in the wrong thing, the wrong person. 
It's in themselves usually. I can do it. I'll figure it out. Let me have a go at it. But that's not how the Bible says. So Peter is the apostle of hope, where John is like the apostle of love. So when you read him, you read about love. And then you got uh, uh, Peter, John, and where was I? There's three of them. In either case, you got faith, you got hope, and you got love. Oh, uh, you're looking at Paul, the apostle of faith. And so those three are the pillars. And so when you read them, think of those things, faith, hope, and love. Now, the Scripture says in verse 18, and this is Peter writing to a group of people, and we'll share a little bit what those people were going through, but it says, for you know, say for you know, that your lives were ransomed once and for all from the empty and futile way of life handed down from generation to generation. It goes on to say, it was not a ransom payment of silver and gold which eventually perishes. Verse 19, but the precious blood of Jesus Christ, who like a spotless, unblemished lamb, was sacrificed for us. Wow. There's a lot there. And so what I would like to do is to get to that point. Peter, in chapter 1, built up to it. And I'm going to share three things with you. But before I do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and the power of your word. And so when the the word washes us and the power of the Holy Spirit combined with that, man, there's no stopping us. And so, Lord, change us today. Open our ears, open our hearts, and change us. We thank you in your precious name, Jesus Christ. Amen. A week ago Friday, I was with my grandson, Spending a nice evening. You know, mom and dad had a date night. My wife's at work. Shane and Dawn. It was great. We were having a good time. He got a little hungry. We went into the kitchen. I got him some cuties. You know what cuties are? Little oranges. Man, those are good and sweet. I took out the seeds. I cut it up. I gave him the first one. He took a bite. He's dancing. He's excited. It tastes good. It's doing something for him. I gave him a second piece. He's dancing. He's still excited. And then all of a sudden he goes, what? I looked at him. What? Can you talk? Can you breathe? Oh, Lord. He's choking. And and he just, look, I've been trained in it. I've trained others in it. I've never done it. So the first thing, person I go to is, Lord, I need your help. Because this could change everything in a moment for our family. And so I bent down and I got behind him and I went, did the Heimlich. I looked at him, nothing. Nothing. I get my phone out. I put it on the counter because I'm going to get ready to call 911. I do it one more time, and out it came. Man, I was relieved. Man, you can't imagine how relieved I was. But it didn't end there. See, Lord knows what he's doing. He knows the trials we go through, and he knows things that are going to happen. 
And so as soon as I saw my grandson be relieved, he started to cry. Tears came in his eyes. And I said, look, Shane, why are you crying? I just want to hear, why are you crying? He said, I thought I was going to die. And I said, yes, I thought that too. And then I said, what if you died? And he looked at me, and he goes, I go to Jesus. I go, yeah, that's exactly right. That's what takes place. You see, God used that as a teaching moment for me, for Shane, for us. Because that's what happens when we die. Deuteronomy 6, 4, 7 says this, commit yourselves to the commands and repeat it again and again to who? To your children, it says. Look, you can repeat it to yourselves as much as you want, and you need to do that. All the commands, to know what the Lord is about. What does he want? But when you repeat it to your children, now they benefit and you benefit. Do you see that? You don't just go in the closet and repeat it to yourselves. You don't keep it a secret. It's just something we need to share. It says again and again to your children. Not just today and tomorrow and the next day. Listen to this. It goes on to say at home, on the road, going to bed, waking up. Look for those teaching moments. Those moments that you know the Lord is in, and you just have to share it. I was so pleased when Shane had said that. Now, he may not know everything about the faith that he's about to be born into, but he knows Jesus, and he knows where he's going, and we need to know that. And so the first thing I want you to know is that you have to know, right? That's the first point. Peter said to this group of people who are being persecuted at a very specific time, it applies to them, it applies to us. For you know, you have to know. You have to know. He says in verse 1 from the very beginning, from Peter, an apostle of Jesus, the anointed one. Well, Peter knows he walked with him and he knows him. And so now he's sharing it with these others and he's encouraging them at this most difficult time to the chosen ones who have been scattered. Another translation says, to the strangers who have been separated. You see, these people believing in Jesus Christ are being persecuted big time. This is when Caesar Nero was in command. This is around A.D. 64. And he hated the Christians. He hated his own life, to be honest. And he wasn't leading like he should. And so he figured, well, we'll burn up Rome and we'll blame it on the Christians. They're a little nuts anyway, right? They're the ones who are always causing and talking about hell and, and fire. And they're the ones who are talking about in communion that they're going to take the body and blood of their Savior. They're cannibals. They're nuts. They're crazy. They're the ones who are spreading love and peace. That's not how we do it here. That's interfering with my lifestyle. That's not it. We're going to persecute them. And so these people are coming under fire, and Peter is encouraging them. Peter is encouraging you right now. I know some of you are in a battle, in a fire, in a, the heat of the battle. So the first thing you need to know is you need to know. You need to know. Even Peter in verse 4 and 5, he goes on to say, and so he's building up to this. Encouragement. He says, our inheritance in heaven is kept by the power of God. 
You need to know that. Our inheritance in heaven is kept by the power of God. Do you think your inheritance is heaven is kept by your power? That's not what the Bible says. It's kept by his power. How many of you have children? Grandchildren? How many of you cross the street with them? What do you do? You go up to the corner, you say, hold my hand. And they reach up and they hold your hand. And you start walking. And they think you're holding, they're holding your hand. They think they're in control, right? Really, I'm holding their hand. My daughter, when she would cross, she'd get halfway through and she'd start asking me questions. She'd start getting, forgetting about holding my hand. It'd start to get looser. She would get distracted. She started to want to pull away. No, we're in the street. I'm holding your hand. That's Jesus. You see that? See, we think we need to hold on to him. He's holding on to you. He's holding on to me. I was reading in a journal uh, about a fraternity. It's a magazine uh, about a fraternity that does a, for new, initi- new people coming into their fraternity, this is how they initiate them. They, they grab a rope, and they've measured it out, and they, uh, the person is holding onto the rope, and they lower, them in, lower that person into a well, like 30, 40 feet. And it's dark. And so they're talking to him, and they're giving him instructions. Just hold on as tight as you can. This is your initiation. If you can pass this, you're in. Just don't worry. That's what they said. Don't worry. So they got to the end of the rope. They tied it to the beam that's going across the well. They walk away. The guy's looking up. Hey, it's dark down here. What next? No answer. Hey, it's starting to get hard to hold on to this rope. My muscles, I can't hold on anymore. It's getting more and more difficult. No answer. Hey, you guys, help. This is no joke. I need help. No answer. He got to the point where he had to let go because he couldn't hold on anymore. He fell two inches. He landed solidly on the ground. And they knew that. It was a test. It was a test. Some of us are holding on to our own ropes. We're saying, I got to hold on and do it this way. I have to. It's my way. We need to just let go and let God be God. Let him be the rock of your life. Let him be the solid ground that you land on. How many of you like to fly? You know, airplanes, not hang gliders and all that. You like to fly? Man, I, I don't like it. I'll do it, but I don't enjoy it. I'm very calculated in my risks. I don't fly at night. I fly early in the morning, and wherever we go, we need to get there before dark. So that kind of limits me. I might take two days to get somewhere where someone could take one day, but that's my way. Suppose you went into the terminal and you needed to get to San Francisco quickly and you went to the desk of an airline. And by the way, it just doesn't seem natural to be flying. I mean, the other day I watched an airplane go by as I was heading to Venice to get stretched and it said spirit. I'm going, on a plane? Something is very unnatural here. That's a warning right there. But in any case, you get to the terminal and you say, I got to get to San Francisco within the hour. Can I get a flight? And the person says, yes, yes, we'll give you a flight. 
um, it'll be smooth. It's going to be no problems. You're going to get there. You're going to love the ride. But I have to warn you, uh, our landing gear has been having some problems. And the tires don't seem to be functioning as good as they should. So when you land, it, it might, you might crash. But you'll get there. It'll be a crash landing. Oh, okay. I'm going to the next terminal. And I ask the airlines, hey, I need an airline ticket to San Francisco. Yeah, we could do that. Now, I want to warn you, there's a storm going on. There can be some turbulence. It's going to be a little bumpy and rocky. It's not going to be as smooth as you'd like. But I guarantee this, you're going to land, and you're going to land safely. Is that a no-brainer? Like, I'm going with this one. I'll take this ride. Well, how come life doesn't go like that? Like, you know, Jesus already said there's going to be times of trouble. But be still. Let your heart not be troubled, right? I've conquered the world. How come you can't believe that? How come I can't believe that? You need to know. You need to know what Jesus says. And so his word is what replenishes us and fills us and changes us. So in these hard times, you might be thinking, as these people were probably thinking, why am I going through this? What's the point? There's, there's no good that can come out of this. I mean, I'm hanging on a cross. They're about ready to light me with, a, with fire. Some of them were in the stadiums, and they're about to be eaten by wild beasts and lions. What good is this? Well, have you heard this in the Bible? You've probably heard this scripture. It was in our memory verse challenge last year. Does the Bible, doesn't the Bible say we see all things work together for good to those who love God? Doesn't it say that? No, it doesn't. It says we know. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say we see. It says we know. We need to know. Because what you have to realize is that in the seeing, it might not be a week. It might not be when you see it in a month or a year. Right? It could be a lifetime. But know this. You need to know. Know what? Well, that's the next point. You need to know you're ransomed. It says you're ransomed. So you need to know that you are ransomed. Tribulation brings patience. We know this from Romans. And the kind of patience we're talking about is, well, you're in that situation that you didn't bring on yourself. It seems to be spiraling out of control. You'll, you can only react to the situation. You can't control the situation. So you realize God's in control. He knows exactly what he needs to do and how he's doing it. And so we need to have patience through that process. And so during tribulations, patience is being built. And then with patience comes experience. Well, learning to trust God, knowing he knows what he's doing. Look, when I grabbed my grandson... I didn't know how that was going to turn out, but I knew God had a plan. I went to him first, and then I executed it. It didn't happen the first time or the second time, but the third time it happened, I'm going, thank you, Jesus. He knows. And so experience then builds our hope. Experience then will build our hope. And hope is the absolute expectation of something good coming, coming our way. And that's what Jesus says. 
Hope in me. And that's what Peter is saying. Have hope. What kind of hope? Well, you should know that you were ransomed, that a price was paid for you. Look, in verse 9 and 11 of that first chapter, 1 Peter, he says this, the prophets were intrigued and even interested in the whole concept of this, but couldn't handle it. Couldn't handle what? Well, look, they heard the glory of Psalm 2 and saw the suffering of Isaiah 53. They saw the triumph of, at Mount of Olives where the returning Messiah will one day come back and stand is what it says in their scripture, in the word. But they also saw on Mount Calvary this Messiah that died as well. What they didn't know is that this King of Kings, this Messiah, who was despised and rejected and smitten and suffered, how can he rule and reign at the same time? Do you know? We know. We have been blessed. What they didn't see is this. They saw the Mount Calvary. They saw the Mount of Olives. But they did not see the, two, the valley in between. Well, what valley? The 2,000 years it took from here to there. And then we need to know there's another valley when Jesus returns and he's coming back. That's our hope. We need to stay focused. And that's what our last series was about, being focused. And now we're on, being, on, on this concept of being ransomed. So you might be hearing all the promises, knowing all the promises of Jesus, but then you might be thinking, but I'm not seeing any good. I don't see any glory coming out of it. I don't get it. I don't, I don't see how this is helping. That valley, for you, for me, it could be a time in between. We need to realize there's a time stamp. It's in God's timing, not in our timing. But know this. God's glory always comes after suffering. Always. It's never the reverse. So you need to know that you were ransomed with what? The blood of Jesus Christ. That's my third point. With the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 13, Peter reminds these people as he reminds us, think soberly. Well, what does that mean to think soberly? You know, sometimes you get caught up in the emotions of the circumstance. I mean, listen, if there was a lion facing me right there, I think I'd be thinking a little differently, right? I got to be honest with you. But he's saying think soberly. Well, what does that mean? It means just this. And this is a very important principle, and I'm sure many of you have heard this. Change thinking changes everything. Or maybe you heard it this way. Get rid of your stinking thinking, right? So you have to realize that you and I can't change our hearts. It is impossible to change our own hearts. We can change our minds. God can change your heart. So if you, change, if you choose to change your mind, then God will change your heart. Do you see that? It's simple, but that's what's meant by be sober. Start thinking like you should. God's got a plan. Even if that lion is in front of you, you haven't been eaten yet. You don't know what's going to happen. So here's our choice. 
In the tough times, you can experience this, what we call, unspeakable joy. You can experience that. It's a choice. Change your thinking. Know what the Lord is saying and what, he's, what his promises are. You need to know that you were ransomed by his blood. That's the three simple things. Now, remember that sh story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do you remember that they went into the fiery furnace? Do you remember what happened? That that whole story was meant to destroy them? That was meant to kill them? That was meant to annihilate them? But they walked into the fire willingly. And who showed up? A fourth one. Jesus. That's right. Jesus. I don't know what fiery furnace you're in. I don't know what heat of the battle you're experiencing. I don't know what it is exactly you are going through. But I guarantee, Jesus is there holding your hand. Jesus is there. He's your solid ground. Jesus is there in the fire. And you don't have to worry. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they would have stayed in that furnace probably eternity. They didn't even want to come out. The only reason they came out is because they were commanded to come out. They would have stayed there. And you and I would stay there too if Jesus was right there in our presence. And I want to tell you, he's here today in each and every one of us, and he is present. The other choice, you can have unspeakable joy, or you can go back to your old ways, right? You could be carnal in your thinking again and have put on that old shell and go backwards. It's called backsliding, right? You could do that. That's an option. But it's not going to get you anywhere. You know, Peter is reminding them this. If you have the tendency to return into that type of thinking, to that carnal thought, to be the old you and not the new you, remember that you were purchased. I want you to remember that you were purchased with the blood, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. When you are in that way, when it starts to happen in me, we need to remember that we were purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Can I have the worship team come up? Look, you don't know this about me, but before Jesus found me, I was the most angry person. I, it was either my way or the highway. How many of you have shared that same philosophy? <laughs> Believe it. Believe it. I, I was so angry. It was, it was just incredible. And, you know, it's weird how he works, even in family, that maybe we don't get along with all the time. Do you know what I'm talking about? I was in the backyard with my brother, one of my brothers. I have five of them. He was a Jehovah Witness at the time. And he made this statement that I got so angry about, it freaked me out. I didn't understand it. But God knew. He said this from a Jehovah Witness. He said, Don, I'm here to tell you there's only one way to get to heaven and one way to get to God. And I looked at him and I said, what are you talking about? Look, let me apply it. If I can apply it, I can make it real. We need to apply it in our lives. 
So I said, look, I'm a hiker, Phil. I go up from this side of the mountain, I can get to the top. That's God. I can go up from this side, I can get to God. I can go up from this side, it might take me a different way. I get to God. He goes, no, no, that's not how it works. What? I got so angry. I couldn't wait for him to leave. But when he left, I didn't know much about Jehovah Witness then. Look, I was raised Catholic. I was very confused. But when he left, the Lord quickened my heart. That still small voice, I can still hear it. And I hear it often today. It was this, you need to know me. You need to know. So I started reading the Bible. I think I read it four times in one year. I was so hungry for the word, I needed a, a kitchen full of fridges because I was so hungry. I need more. I wanted this version. Then I wanted that version. And what does this version say? Man, I couldn't get enough. It was like I was starving. And then one July 4th, sitting on the curb, Pastor Mike Blankenship, he was the pastor prior to this. And we were sitting on the curb, and I was telling him all this. I think he, he looked at me like a deer in headlights. Like, you read the Bible in a year, four times? Yeah. Like, really? Yeah. And I was explaining everything to him. I, I had so much in me, I just wanted to get it out. And I was, like, probably talking a mile a minute. And then he said this. He, he probably didn't know what to tell me. He thought I was nuts. But he said this. You, you need to get baptized. And I looked at him, and I'm going, and that little flesh thing came up again. Like, I'm starting to get a little angry. I was baptized as an infant. What do you mean I need to get baptized? That's what I was thinking. But then I looked at him, and he looked at me, and he just said, Don, you need to get baptized. And he walked away. I didn't get angry. I went back in the house. I pulled out the Bible. I said, what is he talking about? What do I need to do? I need to make the choice. I never did it as an infant. I never was baptized. There is no rebaptism. There's one baptism, one faith, one Lord, one hope. Man, I was so moved at that moment. I'm still moved to this day by that story and so many people that have come into my life and changed it. But it was really God planting people in my life as He plants people in your lives, including family that you may not get along with to change us, to become more like him. Because after all, that's really what we want. That's what Satan kind of wanted. He kind of took it to a whole nother level. But he wanted to be God. We want to be like Jesus, but we don't want to be Jesus. Man. You only have to look at the cross if you want to see the result of sin. So as I shared with my grandson about death and dying and Jesus, we need to share with our children of things that make sense to them, that are real to them. You have to apply it in life or it's just words. And so when you share Jesus and you talk about ransom and they know about kidnapping, trust me, ask them. And then you just bring up this thing about the cross and that's sin. Like when the crown of thorns were was on his head and the blood started to drip off that's what sin does that's what your sin does that's what my sin does when 
You look at his body and it was all striped with whippings and scars and blood and open wounds. That's real. They'll know that. Come on. They see more of that on TV. They know this. And when, and when they stretched him out and put his hand out on this side, and then they nailed his hand into the cross, that's real to them. That's real to us. We need to know. They need to know. I read a story last week. It's still settling with me. This family was on a vacation, like you and I would take. Windows are down, perfect day, heading to the Grand Canyon. At least that's in my picture where I would go. And all of a sudden, from cheer and happiness, a bee flies in the window and enters the car. The little girl in the back seat starts screaming, Daddy, Mommy, there's a bee in the car. He's going to sting me and I'm going to die. You know I'm allergic. Help. And the dad knew it's a serious situation. So he pulls the car over quickly and he reaches back trying to find where the buzz is. And he grabs the buzz. And he holds the bee. The daughter takes a big sigh and says, Ah, oh, thank you, Daddy. You saved me. And then as he's holding the bee, the bee stings him. And it causes pain. And he lets it go. The daughter starts to scream again. Daddy! Daddy, the bee's loose. He's going to sting me. And the dad turns around. He says, No. No, look at my hand. There's the sting. Jesus is saying the same thing to you and to me. I took the sting. I took the lies. I took the beating. I took the sin. Believe in me. Believe in me. We're going to play some worship. I want a little time to pray with you. If you're going through something, if you're in the heat of a battle, I want you to come forward. This is the time to just surrender yourself. Let the Lord be the Lord. Let go of that rope. Just drop onto solid ground. That's what will happen with prayer. So if that's you, as we're playing, if you need prayer, come forward. Let us pray with you. <laughs> 